Hi, Dead Drunkies. This is actually one of our Patreon episodes from a couple months ago. September has been so busy with back to school and all of that stuff. So we hope you enjoy this episode about my hometown missing person case, Suzanne Lyle. If some things don't make sense with the time period, it's because it's from a couple months ago. And if you want to hear more about Israel Keys and all that cool stuff, then go over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash drunk, and join us. There's a bunch more episodes there now, and we post a new one every month. So look forward to hopefully seeing you there and enjoy our episode on Suzanne Lyle. Bye. Hi, friends. I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead, Dead Drunk. drunk. Welcome back, patrons. I'm Yay, so excited Patreon's to be here. So exciting. <laughs> Patreon fam, this is a good one. This is a really good one. <laughs> I've been wanting to cover this case for like since we. I think I wanted it to be like our first or second episode, and I was like, no, we have to wait. Like Crime Junkie did it, and then I'm glad we waited because now is the perfect time to talk about Suzanne Lyle. In the second episode of. This Unlocking is the third Israel episode, Keys. technically, oh, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. If you count that first one. If we count we the first you... one that we gave to everybody, this is our third. So Right. It's number our... three. <laughs> number three of uh, three out of 11. Dun, dun, um, dun. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. All right. So um, I just want to get right into it because I'm really excited. So what we're drinking today is a Tom Collins, which is... A cocktail that you guys have probably heard of before it's kind of a popular cocktail uh, but we will get into the case later why i picked a tom collins but it does make a lot of sense um, i've definitely heard of it before but i've legitimately never heard anybody order it at a bar i've never yeah, <laughs> neither have i but yeah i've heard i mean i remember i'm obviously i'm like a broadway baby and i'm like oh my god tom collins from rent (laughs) do you know what's weird though i've never heard anybody order this but i have heard somebody actually at a theater order a white russian Ooh, a caucasian (laughs) as the big lebowski would call it (laughs) it was it's so weird i've never heard anybody order it other than that one guy at that theater but (laughs) yeah and okay the big Lebowski. That? And the big Lebowski, right. <laughs> the dude. Um, all right. So a Tom Collins, what you're going to do is take some gin. And then <laughs> you're going to add some lemon juice and simple syrup. You're going to mix it up. And then you're going to top with uh, soda water or like seltzer. You can garnish it with a lemon and a cherry and then serve it. Why Delicious. Cherry? Um, also I feel like anytime that it's lemon juice and sugar water, can't you just put in lemonade? Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I always do with like green tea shots. If I have lemonade, I just put lemonade instead. It's so much easier. So you could just do like, it's like gin and lemonade with, with seltzer. I really don't understand the cherry garnish. I know. I'm just, I'm looking at a picture right now and a lot of people put cherry garnishes like through the toothpick and through the lemon. All right. If I'm on, if I'm completely honest, I don't understand garnishes at all. They're except for the, except for the orange on my blue moon, which I just drop right in there. Right, but, but that like <laughs> makes sense. Right, but other garnishes. Mm. 
Yeah, I don't. I, they just look nice, okay? Right when they <laughs> let give me you, like, garnish they, my drink, okay? Remember when we made the the bacon Bloody Mary and we had all that yes. shit on there? Oh my god, that was like a to meal. Porco. <laughs> all right, so are you ready for the case? Drink up, dead drunkies. <laughs> all right, episode three of Unlocking Israel Keys. Here we all go. Right. As we laid out in our last episode, in October of 1997, Israel Keys bought a property in Constable, New York. The house sits on 10 acres of land that's owned by Keys. I obviously tried to map it on Google Maps, as I normally do, but it's such a rural area that you can't even see it from Google Maps. Um, so I did put some pictures in the dock. Shelby, are you looking at the dock? Uh, yeah, it's loading. Okay. okay, here it is. Um, I put some pictures in there of his property. It's kind of creepy. Um, it's it's very run down looking. It like he obviously never really did that much to fix it up. He didn't live there for that long, so like, why would he? But, um, like the roofs are falling in. He lived in it when it was this of this quality. It could have been nicer when he first moved in but this is what it looks like now uh that's fair so i mean i don't think anyone's been living in it for a long time so he just bought it as is lived in it for a few months and then completely abandoned it right right so yeah again i guess these are pictures after he you know abandoned it but it's still it's creepy yeah very (laughs) creepy also the shed in the bottom picture really creeps me out because of what we know about samantha koenig yeah i know it's in alaska it's set far back off a road but just looking at the buildings it looks like that kind of place in your neighborhood where if you kicked your ball over there that ball is gone yep you're not going to get it again (laughs) no and i i believe he had three buildings on his property he had like the main house like a guest house and then like the shed that sounds cool. Not as is, but <laughs> yeah. When I was listening to um, some interviews where he was talking about his property in New York, they did. I think they said he had three buildings on the property. So Keys's neighbor Clarence Dustin lived just across the street, but said he had never met Keys. However, Dustin does talk about how Dustin and his brother would hunt on the land. After hearing that Keyes was a suspected serial killer, Dustin immediately called the police to tell them that his brother had stumbled upon what he thinks could be graves on the property, and they think it is very, very possible that there could be people buried there. However, authorities have yet to thoroughly search this land. Um, Keyes did say that they wouldn't find anything there, and I think because of how honest he has been with police, maybe that's why, but... In my mind, one of two things is probable. Number one, investigators don't think they have enough evidence to take the time to search the land. Or number two, investigators know something that we don't and feel they have enough evidence to believe no one's buried there. So I'm hoping there's a good reason that they haven't searched it. I do have an Israel Keys theory of my own that I will wait to divulge until just the right time. (laughs) Uh, But for right now, let's go back to when he bought the property in Constable in the fall of 1997. We know that he then enlisted in the military in July of 1998. We also know that Keyes revealed to police that something happened in 1998 that, quote, split him in two. We also know that Keyes would drive hours to kill so that he would not be suspected. 
So, did he kill in upstate New York in 1998? I could not help but think about my hometown missing persons case, a case that's gone unsolved for many years, a crime that aligns so well with Keyes. He was in the state, he had ties to the city, and we think this could have been his very first murder. You already know from the title, but I'm talking about the case of Suzanne Lyle. My mind immediately started playing the crime junkie music. I'm so sorry. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. <laughs> oh. So <laughs> Suzanne grew up in Boston Spa, New York, and many of her family and friends called her Susie. So that's what I'm going to call her. Sorry to interrupt, but so many of these places and I've lived in New York my whole life i'm just like where in the fuck is balston spa so balston spa is like 20 to 30 minutes from me oh okay so is it like a hoity-toity kind of area or mm, it's like 10 minutes from saratoga okay so kind of so it's on the wealthier end of the yeah it's not okay. it's not um like urban or anything it's more rural yeah okay so Susie was the youngest of three and was overall a very good kid. Her two older siblings were actually like much older than her. And she was a welcome surprise as her mother liked to call her. So her dad once described her older siblings kind of as like a second set of parents to her because they could like take care of her. They were that much older than her, if that makes sense. That's cute. That's a nicer way to twist unwanted pregnancy too. A welcome surprise. <laughs> a welcome surprise. <laughs> Unplanned, I, I guess I should say, exactly. not unwanted. Yes, exactly. <laughs> she loved to write poetry and loved to listen to the band Rush. Her parents, Doug and Mary, talk about how there was just something special about Susie. She was very intelligent and driven, and she was great with technology, namely computers. Susie did not have many friends outside of school, and at some point during high school, she began talking to local kids online. Through the internet, she found a group that asked her to join a computer club. And after talking to the group for a few months online, she decided to meet them in person. That's so cool that she got into computers and then learned about computers. I got into computers. Yeah, I got into computers and like immediately had a bunch of Neopets. Like I didn't learn anything about the machine. (laughs) No, she could, like, build a computer. That's so cool. She was really, really smart. So, as many parents probably would be, Susie's parents were a little bit concerned with her going to meet people in person that she found online. So, to ease their mind, Susie let her dad accompany her to their first meeting. The first person they met was the president of the club, Richard Condon. Susie's dad describes him as, quote, well-spoken, intelligent, and mature beyond his years. Susie began dating Richard Condon when she was 16 and he was 17. The two dated for the remainder of high school, and Susie's mom remembers Susie actually trying to break up with Richard after high school. According to her, Richard kept calling her, obviously upset, begging her to stay with him, and eventually she conceded. The two continued their relationship, although they were going to be attending different colleges. It has also been reported that because of Condon's extensive knowledge of computers, he was able to gain access to Susie's computer from his own, seemingly to monitor what she was doing and who she was talking to. And she like let him do this, but he like, I know whenever I have issues with my computer at work or anything, the technology department will like go into my computer and like can control it from theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, I was watching the um, disappeared episode on Susie and 
her mom said that she didn't know that he could do this. And then one time when Susie was sleeping, she heard the CD-ROM drive going in and out in her room. And she was like, what's going on? And then Susie like told her that Richard could control her computer from his. Wow. That's really I, creepy. I don't know if she had that same access to his computer or not, but it is kind of possessive. Oh, it's really <laughs> possessive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, keep that in mind. <laughs> so Susie first went to SUNY Oneonta to study computer science. But after a year, she told her parents that she didn't find the classes challenging enough. She said, quote, I could teach the class. Because of this, and partially because it would bring her closer to her boyfriend, Susie transferred to SUNY Albany, where she believed the classes would be more rigorous. And I believe SUNY Albany does have a better computer science program, so that made sense. But Susie's dad, Doug, really truly believes that it was mostly because she wanted to be close to Richard. Oh, so. he was also going there? Or he... Instead of the, like, three hours away that they would be, they would be ten minutes away. I'm not sure what college he went to, but it had to be one in Albany or Troy. Yeah, so RPI or St. Rose, right? Are those? Yeah, <laughs> or Sage or... Oh, I forgot. There's too many. Yeah. <laughs> so. so on the morning of March 3rd, 1998, Mary and Doug Lyle received a phone call from Richard Condon, Susie's boyfriend. Condon told the Lyles that Susie had not arrived back to her dorm the night before after work. She was working at Babbage's in Crossgates Mall, which I had no idea what that was. But when I looked it up, it is now GameStop. Okay. So it used to be called Babbage's and then it was bought by the people that made a GameStop. So it's the same exact thing. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, was Babbage's something different or it was just... No, it was a, ga it was a game store. Yeah, it was okay. the same. Usually when she returned from work, Susie would call or email Condon, but this time Condon hadn't heard anything from her. After trying to contact her all night, Condon called her parents as well as alerting the university police. So he was the one to report her missing. I guess he could if he's going to have her check in like that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess in this case, it's probably good that he was so overcautious and protective because he knew the minute that she <laughs> went in, missing. In this I mean? one case, this one case. It's one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so her RA was contacted and he went over to Susie's dorm. When he got there, it seemed like she had not been inside at all that night. Her bed had not been slept in and the things that she would have had at work with her, like her phone, keys and wallet were not there either. Susie's sweet mates also said that they are positive she didn't come back that night because they would always hear her many keys jingling against the door when she arrived home and they never heard her that night. Police are later able to confirm this when they track the swipes on her campus key card and it shows them that her key was never used to get into her building that night. So she never came back. Mm -hmm. In an attempt to locate Susie, an officer at the campus went to her next class. Susie would never miss a class because, as I said before, she was very responsible and interested in school and learning. However, Susie never showed up to that class. And that's when everyone involved decided that something was very wrong. At this point, Susie's father, Doug, drives down to the campus. It's about a 25 to 30 minute drive from Balsam Spa to Albany. Doug then spends most of the day sitting in the campus safety office while officers began talking to students, coworkers, and people close to Susie. It was then that they were able to piece together a timeline of her last movements. Officers spoke to Garland Nelson, who was Susie's boss at Babbage's. 
He remembers that Susie had seemed very stressed in the days leading up to her disappearance. However, this was because Susie had an important midterm that day. Monday morning, Susie took the test and then boarded a city bus to the mall to start her shift. Garland recalls speaking to her about the test when she came in and says that she seemed like she was back to normal. He said, quote, nothing out of the ordinary. Um, Garland That's... was actually a okay. character I was watching. <laughs> um, I was going like... to say, who names a child Garland? I don't it's know. It's just he so was... strange. <sighs> what was he saying to her? I'm trying to remember what he said he said to her. Um. Uh, oh, when she was like, oh, I'm nervous about the test. He was like, go blow it up, girl. Blow it up. Do what you got to do. Blow it up. <laughs> like, yes, Carla. And so he was like, and then she came in. I was like, so did you blow it up? <laughs> like, yes, Carla. Sounds like a really cool boss. It seems like he, he, so took, cool. he, he took that name and he ran with it. Yeah. I'm really happy he got it because if somebody was named Garland and they just sucked, that would <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, so that night Garland's shift ended before Susie's so he went home and the next he heard Susie was missing at first Garland really didn't think anything of it he said quote she's a college student maybe she had a moment she's entitled to do whatever she wants <laughs> what does that a moment yes, mean? yes Garland <laughs> like I don't know maybe she was like I need some time like a lot of people at the time were thinking like all right she's always so plugged in she always everyone knows where she is all the time Maybe, Maybe something she, happened where she was like, I just need to get away for a minute. I need some time to myself. Right. She might have needed a break. That's fair. right. A moment. <laughs> a moment. <laughs> she had a moment. <laughs> but as the hours passed, Susie's mom called the store and Richard Condon came in to try to find her at the store. And that's what made Garland more worried now that all of her friends and family are trying to contact him and trying to find her at the store. He's like, oh, shit. Okay. Right, because if she took a break, she's still very responsible. So if she took a break, it would have been like a one-night break, yeah. not uh, going well, away for a two-week vacation suddenly. This is still like that day. Still. But, yeah. Isn't it? You're not. She's not going to take a whole break. She just had a midterm. Presumably midterms she, aren't over. She would have <laughs> gone to her next class. Like, she wouldn't have missed class. It's, yeah. So Garland talked to the security guard that was there that night at Crossgates, and he said there was nothing out of the ordinary either. To get out of Crossgates Mall late at night, it's a little bit sketchy, I won't lie. I never worked there, but I had friends that did, and I've gone out the employees-only back entrance before. It's the only way that Susie would have gone out of the mall, because at the time she left, the guest entrances would have all been locked. But again, the night security said nothing out of the ordinary was going on. So she presumably left as normal okay police officers then decided to show Susie's picture to the bus drivers that had stops at Crossgates mall that night one of them remembered seeing Susie the night before he said he was sure that she got on at Crossgates, but was not certain where she got off the bus he was certain however that she was not still on the bus when they got downtown for the final stop okay so, so she he got knows on she was on the bus she get he off. wasn't sure where she got off but he knows that she had gotten off the bus that night okay as police continue their efforts Susie's mom mary has an idea she decides to call the bank to see if Susie's debit card has been used which is a great move mom like yes queen mm -hmm. at first the operator tells mary that the card hadn't been used recently but then something happens while Mary is on the phone, someone uses Susie's debit card. 
It was a direct hit on the pin number and $20 was withdrawn, which was very typical for Susie to take out. Pretty much any time Susie went to the ATM, she only took out $20. That was just like her thing. However, the woman unfortunately could not tell where the ATM's location was. Because of how their technology worked at the time, the vendor from the store had to turn in their receipts before they could determine what ATM she used. So this sets them back about 12 hours. Oh, I'm hoping today that you could call the bank, see where it was used, and know immediately what location it was. And if that could have happened back then, maybe they could have found her. Yeah, well, we know they could do that today because they tracked Keyes' movements across America after he when he was using Koenig's. Right, but did they? Could they do it immediately? Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So and now they have surveillance camera footage too, so they can even well, tell who they using did have the card. surveillance. Um, I will get there. Okay, sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> So the next morning, the woman calls Mary back with the location of the ATM. It was used at a Stewart's on the corner of Central and Manning Avenues. I've actually been to the Stewart's several times as it was the one closest to my high school. So that was like kind of creepy. <laughs> my Ooh. softball team would always run there on St. Patrick's Day to get ice cream for 50 cents. <laughs> um, it is located about three miles from the UAlbany campus. So Mary Lyle at this point is convinced that it was Susie because of the fact it was a direct hit. It was for the amount she usually took out and it was close enough to campus that would make sense for her to be in that area. The bank also tells Mary, though, that Susie had made two transactions on Monday, one across the street from where she got on the bus on campus and another at the mall, both for twenty dollars. This puzzled Mary a little bit because it made no sense to her that she made these transactions so close to each other. Like, why would you get get $20, get on the bus, get to the mall, and immediately take out another $20? That's, yeah, like, a little strange. That's weird. Um, but nevertheless, it was probably Susie that made those two because we know she went to work that day. And the locations were cohesive with the timeline. Like, she she got the ATM at, across the bus, got on the bus, went to the mall, got the ATM, went to work. So maybe she, like, was getting food or something and, like, needed another $20. I don't know. But... Yeah, maybe she just forgot to take out more. Yeah. Plus, Crossgates has like an extensive food court, and that's like maybe she was needed to get some food before work and took out another mm -hmm. 20. I don't know. So then a student came forward saying that she actually saw Susie get off the bus that night. She said she got off at Collins Circle, which is why we're drinking Tom Collins. On the UAlbany campus around 9.45 p.m. I actually snapped. Did you open my Snapchat when I drove by it the other day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, my God, I got to get my Snapchat. Don't Snapchat and drive people. But I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Colin Circle. I have to tell Shelby. Um, <laughs> Don't Snapchat and drive. Although this is the second time you've Snapchatted and, drive and driven for true crime. Well, you know, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. <laughs> do as, but do do as I safely. say, not as I do. <laughs> <laughs> so she said she got off at Collins Circle on the UAlbany campus around 9.45 p.m. She believed that she was alone, but she didn't speak with Susie. She just thought she saw her. When Susie doesn't okay. attend her classes yet again on Wednesday, the campus police finally get the New York State Police involved. So I guess the campus police were, like, trying to handle it until now, and then they're like, okay, maybe we should, like, call in the big guys. 
Okay, yeah. UPD, sit down. <laughs> sit down, UPD. <laughs> when has UPD ever solved a case? I don't know why they would not take this seriously. I, I mean, don't know. everybody in her life is like, she would never miss a class. And they're like, well, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the New York State Police get involved, and the first person they talk to is Richard Condon. Mary Lyle recalls that Condon did help them with a few search parties to look for Susie, but says she never really saw emotion from him. We always say it because you never know how you'll act in a situation like this. However, it was enough to make Mary feel suspicious of Condon. That's fair. Investigators then ask Condon what he was doing the night of Susie's disappearance, and he says he was home where he lived with his parents, playing video games remotely with his friend Justin. When the police talked to Justin, he said he knew Condon's moves on the video game and knew that it was him. I don't play a lot of video games, but I've talked to some people that say this checks out because once you play with someone enough on a game like that, you can kind of anticipate how they'll move in the game. So he says it had to be Condon and the police clear him. Okay, that makes sense to me. Investigators then search Susie's laptop for anything they can find that would suggest what happened to her, but again, nothing out of the ordinary. Police zero in on the Stewart's shop now. In their eyes, whoever used her debit card probably knows more. They are able to pull the security cam footage. However, the camera captures the counter of Stewart's, not the ATM. The ATM is completely out of view. They dust the ATM for fingerprints, but nothing can be concluded from this, probably because there are so many partial prints from so many different people. That's crazy. How is it more important to watch your own employees than the ATM? <laughs> Just Well, I guess if, if they were if somebody was going to be robbed, you know what I mean? They would probably come to the counter and like most interactions with guests is at the counter. So I understand that. But they're like probably should have also been one on the ATM. Oh, yeah. So police are still able to use credit card information from the receipts and ATM records to identify customers that came up to the register a half hour before and after Susie's card was used. One of them says they remember seeing a black man with a hat on and because America is racist, they decide that this man was probably involved. So they create a police sketch and begin looking for who they begin to call the Nike man because he was possibly wearing a Nike hat according to the racist customer that remembered <laughs> so mad about it oh my God. like oh oh there was a black man here oh that must be him <laughs> like okay i mean that does sound like what they what they did in this case so i was like oh i remember a black guy at the stewards he probably paid for whatever he got with cash so they couldn't track him they had no idea who he was you know what i mean and one person was like oh my god there's a black guy <laughs> it must have been him And police say, like, oh, well, if it wasn't him, like, he might be a witness to something, so we need to talk to him, which I guess makes sense, but still, it's like, fuck you, lady, who's like, there was a black man here. (laughs) Let him do what he wants. (laughs) Anyway, in May that year, two months after Susie's disappearance, students at UAlbany make an important discovery. In the visitor parking lot, they find Susie's old work ID. When I first read about this, I assumed that it was a photo ID. However, looking further into it, I believe it was more like a name tag that she would have worn at Babbage's that night. Garland, her manager, though, does say that it was an old version of her name tag, one that she wasn't wearing. So she had gotten a new one, and this one probably was in her purse or something like that. Oh, okay. 
So this discovery is alarming for a few reasons. The first being that the police said that they scoured the campus when she went missing. So how was this missed? Could it have been placed there later? Or was it there all along? Um, Since it was early March, it was still winter in Albany. So I looked it up. And in March of 1998, Albany actually got 6.3 inches of snow throughout the month. So... To me, it's possible that the ID could have been hidden by snow and was only found in May because all the snow is now melted and it's springtime. Yeah, that makes sense. Initially, I thought, oh, bubbling police work. But no, you're right. (laughs) It makes more sense with the snow. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing that's alarming is that the visitor lot was not on Susie's way back to her dorm. It was it was close to where she got off the bus but it was not on the normal path that she would take from the bus stop back to her dorm. So why did she go there? Was she lured there by someone? Was she going to meet someone? Susie's parents are not convinced that Richard Condon didn't have something to do with it. They always saw him as possessive of Susie and quite controlling, seeing as he had control of her computer and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. However, since he was Susie's boyfriend, I highly doubt that he would have taken her from a visitor lot that night. He wouldn't have needed to take her in the in the night like that. You know what I mean? He would have been invited into her dorm. He would have been able to get her to willingly go with him in the daylight if he wanted to take her. He yeah. doesn't have to, like, ambush her when she gets out of work. Do you know what I mean? That, like, the way that that yeah, happened no, doesn't makes... seem that personal to me. Right. It makes sense that he could have picked her up directly from work. He could have picked her up from the bus stop and gotten her to go anywhere with him. So, yeah, he didn't have to sneak around and try to be off her route or lure her anywhere. Right. Exactly. So that's why I really just don't think it was him. And obviously the police don't think it was him either. Mm -hmm. But her mom is just not convinced because I just think they didn't like him. That's fair. Um, He doesn't seem like a great guy. So he he only cooperated with police and then stopped cooperating and like didn't take a polygraph and i think to her family they're like why wouldn't he take a polygraph but obviously all of us like crime people here are like um you never take yeah, a polygraph so i would usually take one say either. always get a lawyer and don't take the polygraph right I mean, and so after like his first questioning when they tried to talk to him more he got a lawyer and said no to a polygraph which is what you're supposed to do Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's that strange. Also, the fact that he reported her missing to the police, called her parents, had somebody go to her dorm. Like he was very like on top of it. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if he was the one that did something to her, he wouldn't have been so quick to call her parents and the police. Right. I agree. Although in some cases they do because they try to throw the suspicion off of them. But that doesn't seem like the case here. No, he was probably playing video games. But uh, we don't know. So police then try to draw connections to another missing persons case that happened 13 years earlier, that of Karen Wilson. Um, The disappeared episode goes kind of further into Karen Wilson than I did, um, because although she was a young woman who attended SUNY Albany and went missing there aren't any real other connections between them. Wilson was last seen walking on Fuller Road, which is actually a busy road that's not that close to campus. Like, it's probably, like, a mile, but it's not on a route that you would walk. I don't, I mean, I don't know what Fuller Road looked like 
when Karen Wilson went missing, there could have been sidewalks. It could have been very different. Now mm-hmm. there's like roundabouts and no sidewalks. And it, it's not somewhere where somebody should be walking, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but again, it could have been a very different street back then than it is now. Either way, I don't really think that these cases are connected. Like, would somebody really go 13 years without doing anything? No, not if their focus was SUNY Albany students, I don't think. Yeah. Um, There was also a connection that the Disappeared episode tried to make with somebody that went missing after Susie from a high school in Saratoga. And the dad was convinced that they might be connected because Susie is from 10 minutes from Saratoga. But this person, like, tried to take a 16-year-old from a high school and, like, didn't like tried to abduct her and they were all convinced that it was connected, but I don't really see a connection there either besides the fact that she lived 10 minutes away from there, but that's not really where she went missing from. Right. There's not a real strong connection just because somebody's from somewhere and also missing doesn't really mean. Right. And I I think that obviously the family was like grasping at straws, trying to find what happened to their daughter. So they would obviously make this connection, but I don't think that, there's much to that one. Right. So a year after Susie's appearance, appearance, that was a good word. <laughs> a year. I after, like it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> a year after Susie's disappearance, police are finally able to track down the Nike man. And guess what? They're able to conclude that he was not involved in Susie's disappearance because he was just oh. in the store that night. He wasn't a suspect they put and they put so much faith into like we're gonna find this guy and he's gonna know or he's gonna be the one that did it and then they find him and question him and they're like he didn't do it and it was really upsetting to Susie's parents because they really really thought once we find this guy we'll like no and obviously he had nothing to do with it oh I'm sure they probably thought oh this is the guy and once we find him we're gonna figure out what happened to Susie and nope yeah. I mean, that's why you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. But the police definitely shouldn't put all their eggs in one basket. Right. There's. So we're at a dead end now. Um, what could have happened to Suzanne Lyle? Well, you're here. <laughs> we have a theory. <laughs> obviously, you're here because we're unlocking Israel Keys. And obviously, we think it's Israel Keys. <laughs> it's easy to say that Israel Keys took her because she went missing without a trace. And we know that's his kind of thing. But when looking at all the details, it really does start to make more sense than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a, a short list of seven reasons why I think um, Israel Keys took Suzanne Lyle. So number one, we know that Israel Keys had a property in New York that he had just purchased a few months before. In an interview that I just watched, he said that he lived there for about seven to eight months starting in the fall of 97. So he was living there. His property was located a little over three hours from where Susie went missing. But as we know, Keyes was known to drive a ways from where he lived in order to throw people off his trail. He didn't want to take people from right right where he lived because he knew that he would become a suspect more easily. Mm-hmm. Number two, Susie had expressed to co-workers in the days leading up to her disappearance that somebody was stalking her. She didn't seem too worried about it, which is kind of crazy to me, um, but... That doesn't mean that she shouldn't have been. Well, she might have just attributed it to her boyfriend again. Just more stalking from her boyfriend. Yeah, that's true. She has that controlling of her relationship. Maybe she thought it was like her boyfriend's friend or something. And she was just like, yeah, someone's stalking me. Like, whatever. But we know that Israel Keys would stalk out his victims 
he was smart. He wouldn't just take somebody without knowing what was going to happen. He wouldn't make advances if he wasn't sure that he wouldn't be caught. In my opinion, it's very possible that he was following Susie for a few days before he decided to take her and knew that the visitor lot was close enough for him to park his car. He could have convinced her to go with him quietly, as we saw with Samantha Koenig, put her in his car at the visitor lot, and driven off with her. She may have dropped the name tag on purpose in the hope that somebody would find it and know that she had been there. She could have also been in a struggle with him at that point, which had it fall out of her bag or something. That's true. We know that Samantha ran, so it's very possible that Susie tried to get away, too. Yeah. Number three, we know Israel Keys used Sam Koenig's ATM card. He convinced her to give him the PIN number, and it's very possible that he was the one to use Susie's card, especially since the security camera didn't show the ATM, and he could have used it and then left without being seen. This is not at all out of the ordinary for Keys to do. Mm-hmm. He did it with his very last murder, right? He could have done that with his first. Right. How how many days was the ATM u- card used? At, how many days after her disappearance was the ATM card used? It was the next day. Okay. That makes some sense, although it does kind of bring the question to my mind, was she alive at that point? Right. She could have been. Because we know he kept Sam alive to check the pin and then. So maybe that was his way of checking the pin and she was still alive then. Yeah. Very possible. Number four, there is, quote, informed speculation that Keys met people while online gaming. I only saw this on a Reddit thread, so I'm not sure of how informed the speculation really is. But Susie's tie to computers and her boyfriend's alibi of online gaming that night is just like a weird connection to me. Mm -hmm. You don't believe in coincidences. Right. So (laughs) there must be something there. Yeah. Number five was also something I saw on Reddit. So again, take it with a grain of salt. But it was mentioned that Keys had searched Suzanne's name on his computer. In the future, we know that he would do this kind of thing on a public computer, searching the names of his victims to stay updated on their cases. However, it's not out of the question that early on he would have searched on his own device. Yeah, because he wouldn't have expected them to be on his trail because there's no reason for them to be. Right. And it's his first one. It's not like he's right a serial killer yet. Mm hmm. Number six is we know that Keyes enlisted in the army in the Albany area that summer. So he was most likely pretty familiar with the Albany area. Um, He probably had to go there often before officially enlisting to talk to recruiters and to do all the paperwork and stuff that it takes to enlist in the army. So he probably was in and out of the Albany area more than we think. Mm -hmm. So he was there. Yeah, he was there. My seventh is water and this theory is the theory that we have about keys that i think really really works all of the clues that he's given us throughout his interviews uh when he was in custody have told us that he disposed of his bodies in or around water he would use a boat to get out to the deep lakes or he would bury them in the dirt but near a ravine or a valley i think it's one of the main consistencies when looking at israel keys and his crimes as a whole So what does that have to do with Susie Lyle? Over the years, 75 different psychics have contacted the Lyle family with what they think happened to Susie. A majority of these psychics told the family that they believe she's submerged in water somewhere. 
Mary Lyle has dismissed this because she believes that there are too many bodies of water in the capital region for this to be helpful to them. However, she did tell the Schenectady Daily Gazette in 2016 that every time she drives over the Crescent Bridge, the bridge between Albany and Boston Spa, she has an odd and eerie feeling. Could Susie be in the Mohawk River below? And if not, where is she? That's an interesting theory. What route, what route would Israel Keys have taken to return to Constable? If, in theory, he was taking Suzanne Lyle and then returning to Constable New York, would he have gone through Boston Spa? Or I guess I guess the question would be, did he cross the Mohawk River? Yeah, he would have taken I-87. Okay. So I do... I do think it's possible. I don't know. So Doug, Susie's father, unfortunately died in 2015. Before his death, though, he wrote this open letter to Suzanne's abductor, and I'm going to read it to you now. It says, To the person who took Suzanne, I often wonder whether March 2nd means anything to you. Do you remember the 19-year-old young woman that you took from us? Do you still have her with you? It has been nearly a year since she vanished, but she is just as loved and dearly missed. Do you know the person you took? Susie is our third child and was born on April 6, 1978. I had the great privilege of witnessing her birth, an event that was one of the most memorable of my life. Her older brother and sister became very attached to her and during her younger years were almost a second set of parents. She's a very creative person and is inspired to write poetry that seems to flow in from outside of herself. She's a shy but friendly person whose warm smile and easy manner can cut through other sadness and put those around her at ease. Her sense of fairness and loyalty to her friends are well appreciated by those who know her well. You took away a wonderful person, someone who probably would have stood up for you if things weren't fair. Did no one do nice things for you? I have found some comfort in picturing you not as mean and ugly, bad person, but someone's child. Someone deserving and needing of love and acceptance who possibly misunderstood Susie's friendship as a romantic interest. If love wasn't shared in your family, I'm sorry. Every person is entitled to the love and caring that family and friends provide. If you still have Susie, I wish for something good to happen to you. A success that makes you feel satisfied and positive about yourself. Hopefully then you will treat her well. I hope you have peaceful moments when you can walk in the woods or through the fields content, not miserable and vindictive. I have a hard time getting through anniversary dates. Still not knowing where Susie is, I continue to talk to her and ask for answers about her from my dreams. Birthdays, holidays, semester breaks, but especially now. Where are you, Susie? What next? I pray for Susie and for my ability to let go of anger toward you. If only I could talk to you. I'm not sure what I would say, although after so much time, surprisingly, I don't hate you. I know nothing about you. I wonder if you were ever like Susie. Did you love homemade chocolate chip cookies? Did you go to Rush concerts? Did you play jokes on April Fool's Day? Did you spend time on the computer, oblivious to anything else going on around you? Susie is more than a girl on a poster. Her mom and dad, Steve and Sandy, miss her daily. She has dreams and hopes and potential. I still have positive dreams. For my own survival, I have had to let go of anger or I would be consumed by it. But the questions persist. I pray that God will smile down on us all this year and bring us some peace. 
All I'm asking is for your response, a call to allow me and the people whose lives Susie touched to find peace and a sense of calm that disappeared on that night in March. The peace that can't return until the questions surrounding Susie's disappearance are answered. You have held the answers for so long. You also hold the pain. Please talk to me. Douglas Lyle, Boston Spa, New York. Wow. I know. <laughs> I feel like that was such a beautiful letter. Like, he was just a was such a good person i feel like and that's such a beautifully written letter it's very it's very well well said that he does have to let go of this anger but it's natural for him to have it (laughs) Mm -hmm. so what do you guys think was suzanne lyle israel keys's first murder victim we think so and that would mean that israel keys has seven other victims that are now unidentified Stay subscribed to our Patreon to hear about who we think the others are. Next, we travel to Washington. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. I do also, going back to water, well, my initial thought was what body, body of water is the closest. I think it's important to think what body of water is the deepest. And that, I think, would have been the Hudson. Uh, let's find out. Well, the Mohawk River, I Googled it. The Mohawk River is oh. about 45 feet deep at its deepest, and the Hudson is 203 feet deep. Oh, wow. It, yeah. so, okay. So, so depending on... Maybe she's in the Hudson. Yeah, but there's so much... There's so many miles of Hudson that you could check that, I mean, there's just... without. There's probably so many bodies in the Hudson River. Well, that too, but... Again, the police are not going to invest the time in the search without any right. real concrete evidence to do so. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, unless we get enough money from the Patreon to rent scuba gear and drive around the country, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I I do feel like something has to be said for the, like, the weird feeling that Mary gets when she drives over that bridge. I agree. Like w- We talk about like spooky stuff all the time, like. Sometimes you just have feelings and like oh, instincts. You know what I mean? I agree. I and forget what case it was, but there was a case where um, somebody went missing and that person's mother would have dreams about them in a barrel and her body was literally in a barrel for the number of years that she was missing. Oh my God. I think that there's... I do think that there are otherworldly forces that try to push us in the right direction sometimes. So maybe it is also worth searching the Mohawk River. But again, I wonder if like, I wonder if she could have been alive and Israel Keys was driving her up that way. And she like tried to escape and ended up. Oh, that's fairly possible. Either falling off the bridge or like, you know what I mean? Who knows? Yeah. Um, Depending on when he, when he took her there. I mean, it's a pretty, um it's a really busy street so i don't know if he would have i don't think he would have tried to dispose of her body off of that bridge okay but it's um, but it doesn't mean that he it's didn't a dispose highway of it in that river right 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 exactly um so she could be in I that river she know. could be i do believe that i mean the feeling she gets and the number of psychics leads me to believe that she is that in a body of water, water. yeah yeah I really think she is whether or not Israel keys is the one that put her Mm -hmm. there. You know, we obviously have our theories and there are other theories out there, but I think she probably is somewhere underwater. 
Yeah, I mean that seems and if, the most likely. If Israel Keys was the one that took her and put her there, um, well, we probably won't find her intact. <laughs> unfortunately you know what i mean like well because we know that the other bodies that he's dumped in in water were not intact i mean samantha koenig for example was not intact Mm -hmm. which i mean yeah and he he knew how to hunt and he knew how to dismember he knew how to do that and so it's yeah it's more than likely that if we were to find her we would find some which is rough. I don't want to end on that note. Um. <laughs> yeah, no, me either. <laughs> Should we do a chaser? Yes. I didn't have one prepared, but I feel like we need one after that. <laughs> yes, let's do one. Uh, let's do... Oh, I wonder if you can find um, like an, an Albany quiz and quiz me on it to see how much I know about my hometown. Oh, it was... Google was really quick to be like, do you want a quiz on Albany, Washington? <laughs> no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, this is fun trivia. Let's see if it holds up to its name. Okay. Oh, a lot of ads and a lot of loading time, but so not doing great so far. Okay. Um, What is the name of the city that was built near the Dutch settlement of Fort Orange? Utica, Oswego, Auburn, or Albany? I'm going to say it's probably Albany. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it is. I think we'll see at the end. (laughs) What highway separates downtown Albany from the Hudson River? I-90, the Thruway, the Northway, or 787? From the Hudson River, I think. Why am I like having trouble right now? I don't know. I I think I wouldn't be able to get this. I know the places that I drive to regularly, and that's about it. Everything else I need directions to. I think I think it's 787. Okay. We'll go with it. I'm going to go 787, but I'm not sure. Oh, my God. I don't know anything. I literally live here. That, okay. that was question number two. There's, there's a few more. <laughs> Which of these men was mayor of Albany the longest? Jerry Jennings. Erastus Corning, John Boyd Thatcher, or William S. Hackett? Ooh. All right. Don't know who Erastus is. Jerry Jennings was mayor, I like, for while I was alive. I don't know how long he was. He's like the mayor that I remember, though. I've like met him before. Hackett, there's a boulevard named after him. Thatcher, there's a state park named after him. So I think I'm going to say Thatcher because that's like the biggest. Or Hackett. Maybe Hackett. Okay. Let's go with Hackett. All right. We're going with Hackett. Because the boulevard. Because <laughs> the boulevard, right? I don't know. You've got to be <laughs> mayor for a long time to uh, get a boulevard named after you, right? I, I don't know. I don't know how you get that. <laughs> The section of Route 7, which runs between 787 and Route 9, is most commonly referred to as what? The Cross Colony Expressway, Alternate Route 7, the Northway, or Columbia Turnpike? I think it's Alternate Route 7 because that's what my mom always says. Okay. But I don't know. If it's commonly referred to as that in your house, then technically you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Which of the following celebrities it's in quotations did not come from the capital district 
Brady Bunch actress Anne B. Davis. Ah, I see why it was in quotations. Actor and director Tim Robbins. <laughs> Pulitzer Prize winner William Kennedy. Or actor William Devane. I have no freaking clue. <laughs> I don't know. Either. I don't know who any of these people I are. Um, I'm going to say that nobody from the Brady Bunch was from the Capitol District because that would be too cool. Yeah, I feel like we would have claimed it. doesn't matter what part of the Brady Bunch she was, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the College of St. Rose is located in what part of the city? Arbor Hill, Pine Hills, the Campus District, or the North End? I think it's Pine Hills. Okay. Go on with I it. I don't... I don't know what the North End or the Campus District are. Okay. So. <laughs> Never heard that before. The Empire State Plaza is downtown Albany. The Empire State Plaza in downtown Albany was the brainchild of what state and local leader? William S. Hackett, Nelson Rockefeller, Jacob Javits, or Governor Hugh Carey? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why you would know. Maybe Hackett again? <laughs> we could just go with Hackett. You know what? Let's stick with Hackett. Fuck it. Well, Hackett. Javits is like the Javits Center, right? Yeah. Rockefeller is like Rockefeller Plaza. Yeah, I don't know who Governor Hugh Carey is. I don't know Is either. that Jim Carey's ancestor? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what downtown Albany Street separates North Pearl Street, the North Pearl Street from South Pearl Street? Central Avenue, Steuben Street, Washington Avenue or State Street? North Pearl from South Pearl. I think. Oh, no. <laughs> it's either. I think it's probably State Street. That's where my mom works. Okay. I think it's state, I think it's State Street because I don't know that Washington and Central. I don't. I mean, they they both come. I don't think Central comes down that far. It's it turns into Washington, I believe. Okay. And then, so it's either Washington or State Street, but I don't know. Maybe it's what mm, I'll go with State Street. Okay. Because I know that State Street definitely crosses Pearl Street. All right, we're going with State. Number nine. Okay. On which holiday weekend does Albany usually celebrate its Dutch heritage with the Tulip Festival? Mother's Day. Okay. <laughs> it's always Mother's Day. I was a Tulip Fest um, person once, and I got to sweep the street in my Dutch costume. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I was on the newspaper. <laughs> I was on the newspaper. <laughs> Where is the August place to be? Saratoga Racetrack? The Empire State Plaza, Thatcher Park, or Saratoga Performing Arts Center? Okay. I'm going to say that it is probably the Saratoga Racetrack because it usually opens in August. I would have said SPAC because SPAC has like great concerts, but usually like Dave is in July. So I'm thinking that Saratoga Racetrack is the um, August place. Sorry, I was laughing. Usually Dave is in July. Like, you know exactly. Dave Matthews Band comes in July. And then, like, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> to SPAC? Yeah. Okay. That's what, for all of our patrons listening, Dave Matthews Band. I immediately got <laughs> it. I immediately got it. Like, oh, I know what she's talking about. <laughs> okay, we're going to say Saratoga Racetrack. Because as soon as I read the first answer, I was like, oh, that's it, right? So... <laughs> And I don't yeah, live there. 
It's definitely the track. All right. So let's submit my answers and see what happens. Let's see how you did. You were right about it being Albany that was the Dutch settlement by Fort Orange. Cool. 787 was right. Oh, the mayor who had the longest term wasn't William S. Hackett. It was Erastus Corning. Who is that? It says mayor. (laughs) That would have been my last guess. It says mayor Erastus Corning appeared in Ripley's Believe It or Not because he'd been mayor for so long. Corning was elected mayor 11 times and served from 1940 until his death in 1983. Oh, my God. (laughs) So 43 years of being mayor. That's insane. If it makes you feel better, 56% of players. Oh, no. They answered correctly. They probably just picked the most ridiculous name. (laughs) 44 of us don't know. That's fine. You were right about alternate route seven. Okay. Oh, you were wrong about the Brady Bunch. Uh, Oh my God. Wait. So there is an actress from the Brady Bunch that's from the Capitol District that we didn't know about. (laughs) Yeah. So the the correct answer was actor director Tim Robbins. Um, It says William Kennedy is from the area and wrote several books about it, including Ironweed and O Albany. William Devane is also from Albany and is known for roles on Flamingo Road and Bad News Bears in Breaking Training. And Alice from the Brady Bunch and B. Davis (gasps) is from nearby Schenectady. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. The bunch. I've actually never seen Brady Bunch. So it's all right. I've seen like episodes here and there, but it's 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 okay. That's Um, cool, though. You were right about St. Rose. It's in Pine Hills. Nice. Wow. Hackett was just not the answer today. Oh, um, no. Poor William S. Hackett. The correct answer for whose brainchild was the Empire State Plaza was Nelson Rockefeller. Honestly, we probably should have gotten that one because he's <laughs> he builds big things. But the plaza was the doing of Nelson Rockefeller along with help from Mayor Corning <laughs> and the namesake of the plaza's Corning Tower. Oh, well, that makes sense. I forgot that it was called the Corning Tower. <laughs> Maybe I would have guessed him. <laughs> Damn. I, I don't think I still would, because Erastus, <laughs> that sounds made up. And then you got yeah. 8, 9, and 10. You were right. Oh, nice. I was right about State Street. Yep. So you scored 105 points. You got All 7 right. out so of I 10. Did pretty, I did pretty well. Yeah, you did. The average score was I 6 out here, of 10. I live here, so. <laughs> yeah. Good job. Tierney's <laughs> from Albany. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys didn't know, that's where I'm from. And... That's where Suzanne Lyle went missing. Oh, way to tie it back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, uh, join us next month when we dive into Washington. Uh, Israel oh Keys God, so told investigators or alluded to investigators that there were four victims in Washington. So, ooh, so who was the first? We don't know. <laughs> We're going to find out. <laughs> We're going to figure something out. We're going to come up with some guesses for you. <laughs> yeah, but we'll we'll come up with something. <laughs> All right. Bye, Mom. Bye, Mom.